It's day eight at the New York Film Festival and day eight of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast daily here at the New York Film Festival, 57th New York Film Festival. I'm Eugene Hernandez from Film at Lincoln Center, and I'm here with two colleagues, Maddie Whittle and Tyler Wilson, who are programmers here at Film at Lincoln Center, New York Film Festival. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, in a little while on this podcast, we're going to listen to the audio from our talk with documentary filmmaker Michael Apted, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We wanted to talk on today's podcast a bit about the shorts program, and who better to ask about the shorts program than folks who curated this year's program. Um, Tyler and Maddie, could you just tell us a little bit about um, your approach to the the shorts programming sort of what what are you what were you looking for and uh maybe for folks who haven't yet um kind of experienced or sampled the shorts programs just give us a sense of kind of the the structure of it and the kind of uh, overall kind of um approach yeah um uh over the past few years the shorts programs we've generally had four blocks um one has always been our new york stories program perhaps our most popular one for obvious reasons because it's generally uh, kind of a homecoming for all the films and the cast and the crew uh, to see their work. And this particular year, they're all like world premieres, so it's especially exciting. Um, and then for the other programs, we sort of pull from uh, Without a Box, which is our sort of uh, open submission process uh, where filmmakers from really all over the world can submit their work uh, to certain categories. And this year we uh, made three other programs that pulled from our narrative, documentary, and also our genre sections mm -hmm. to make uh, three um, international programs. Um, yeah. So the the programming is a mix of filmmakers that we are familiar with or may have had work in the festival before, either in the short section or maybe other areas of the festival or even other um, programs year-round at Lincoln Center. But there's also some new faces. So maybe just give us some of those highlights. Tell us about some of the films that that you selected this year and kind of that kind of fit both of those categories. Um, as far as speaking to filmmakers um, that may be familiar to our audiences, I think our documentary program is especially exciting. It's a program of just two films, uh, two medium-length works by uh, Pia Borg and Theo Anthony. We've shown their work in uh, different contexts in the past. Uh, Pia had a film in projections recently called Silica um, a few years ago, and Theo Anthony, we had the privilege of screening his film Rat Film as our opening night film uh, a few years ago in Art of the Real. Uh, and these two films, I think, are really interesting and I think play off each other in really exciting ways. Um, Pia Borg's film is about the satanic panic that occurred throughout the 80s, and uh, Theo Anthony's film is uh, a sort of kind of historical look at the uh, Hawkeye uh, system that's used in professional tennis. And I think both of these films sort of speak to each other in interesting ways as far as they uh, kind of get into sort of human relationships to technology and mass communication and sort of our relationship to uh, objectivity mm -hmm. um, in those systems. I mean, yeah, I think it's an exciting program. Yeah. And I'll just add, um circling back to the New York Shorts program. Yeah. Uh, that's an especially exciting community of filmmakers to be working with. Uh, we're lucky to have eight films in that program this year. And it really is a mix of sort of established um, established creators from the New York filmmaking scene yeah. and sort of more up and coming newer voices. Um, a, a 
several of them we worked with before. Ricky D'Ambrose mm -hmm. uh, directed the feature Notes on an Appearance, which we screened in uh, New Directors, New Films a couple years ago now, um, and also opened. Did we open it? Yes, mm -hmm. we did. Um, and uh, he has a new short that we are premiering uh, that is was made in New York, set in New York, um, draws heavily from the this sort of local community of filmmakers for cast and crew. And um, similarly, we have a new short from Dan Salit, who's um, sort of a very prominent figure in the New York independent film scene. Um, and then we also have some newer faces and names. Um, Minna Joseph uh, has a really excellent film called Fit Model that's part of the program, uh, one of the longer shorts in the program. And it's really exciting to see um, especially in the cast and in the cast and crews of these films, names reappear, faces reappear. So uh, Dara Campbell, who's another kind of an up and coming uh, young actress, extremely talented. Um, she was in a film that we featured in this year's New Directors, New Films uh, Festival and is in two of the short, she in two? Uh, she no, is. She's, she actually she she's in one of the films. She's in Foreign Powers uh, in the New York Stories program. She actually also stars in Brandon Cronenberg's short film, uh, which is in our narrative program. Mm -hmm. So she's uh, busy in multiple programs this <laughs> yes. year. Yes, we're big fans of Derek Campbell. We're big um, fans of her at the organization. She was um, one of the participants in our Artist Academy a couple of years ago as well. She's, uh, it's fun to see her face pop up yeah. in different places. And uh, actually, one of the other films that I'll shout out from New York Shorts, uh, New York Stories, is uh, Bingham Bryant, who directed Foreign Powers, one of these shorts. And he was, had a leading role in Ricky D'Ambrose's film, Notes and an Appearance, which, so it's everything, everything is connected. Everything's a network, everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really collaborative energy that I think we're, we're showcasing here. Um, maybe as a way to take a step back and help our listeners kind of understand your process or the process you go through, I should say, over the course of, of a summer as you're curating uh, these various shorts programs, maybe help us understand sort of what what makes a good short film for the New York Film Festival? Sort of as you embark on the process, um, do you already kind of know, quote unquote, what you're looking for and the categories you might be looking to fill? Or are you kind of uh, drawing the, the lines around some of these films after you've kind of surveyed the, the scene? How does, it, how does it work? How does it come together, I guess, is the question. Um, I think it just comes from us seeing films and sort of parsing out what excites us the most and what yeah. uh, we think uh, the New York Film Festival audience will become excited by and what they can really respond to in interesting ways. Um, and I think once we sort of find those kinds of films, they sort of find their own uh, themes and connections with other films. And I think that's also the other exciting thing is putting together the programs to sort of uh, have these films play off each other and kind of elevate each other in really exciting ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it is a it's sort of an organic, intuitive process. I mean, obviously, we both bring our different sensibilities, our different tastes, um, and and sometimes uh, sort of have to make the case with each other for whether a film should be included um, if we really want to feel like championing it. Yeah. Um, but I think that we uh, have a pretty good collaboration yeah, we work well as, as co-programmers <laughs> and it, uh, it's sometimes you sort of look at the the program that you end up with and it it is it works out even more nicely than you maybe could have realized mm -hmm. when you were putting it together yeah. uh, which is always a, a fun 
the realization. Well, that um, kind of what you were just talking about kind of leads me to my next question and my last question. Um, tell, tell us, tell our listeners and tell me a little bit about your own backgrounds. Uh, tell us about the work that you do here at Lincoln Center and kind of your own, your own uh, backgrounds, relationships with the festival. Um, it, would be, it would be great to just kind of get a little bit of uh, context. Um, so this is actually my first year working on uh, the programming team uh, that curates the festival. I, I've been a member of the programming team here at Film at Lincoln Center for uh, coming up on four years, um, but in various different capacities, um, starting in sort of more administrative operations roles and uh, sort of growing into more of a curatorial position. So it's been a real thrill for me to get to step into that role. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's something I hope to continue doing. And um, certainly as I've, uh, as my role has developed here, I've gotten to in have a greater familiarity uh, and fluency with these communities of, of artists that yeah. we work with and that yeah. we uh, continue to come back to and to sort of, um, we benefit from their work and we want to be a home for them. And yeah. I, I really have grown to appreciate that relationship. Yeah, um, I've been a member of the programming team for about four years as well. Um, I've been... Uh, working on shorts with the New York Film Festival for about three years. Uh, and um, yeah, I also hope to keep doing it as well. And uh, I think it's a really exciting section of the festival. And there's clearly a, a big audience to, that comes. I think um, each screening ends up getting sold out inevitably. And yeah, um, yeah I, I and I guess as far as coming to the New York Film Festival, uh, I studied um, in New York here. And inevitably, I found my way up here and discovered the year-round programming um, and obviously was always excited for the fall to come to maybe at least have enough money to buy one or two main slate tickets. <laughs> um, but inevitably, like by um, finding films in the main slate, you discover other sections of the festival and ultimately um, become a, a year-round member of the what was the Film Society, now at Film at Lincoln Center. Yeah. There certainly might be folks listening to this podcast, uh, filmmakers who who want to have their film considered for inclusion in either the New York Film Festival or maybe one of the other programs we do year-round. Um, Maddie, you were talking about these different communities of filmmakers, and I think that's a really um, great way to think about it. How do, how, do, how do you, how do you and your colleagues go about finding these new and connecting with these uh, new or ongoing uh, or developing ongoing relationships with these communities of filmmakers or how do filmmakers find you? That's a great question and um, it I think we certainly benefit from uh, working for an organization like Film at Lincoln Center that really uh, foregrounds uh, its own capacity to create networking opportunities and and to bring artists together with programmers with writers with uh, people uh, working in the industry. Yeah. Um, I think those kinds of that aspect of this professional field is really important because yeah. it's such a collaborative art and it's yeah. such a um, it's a field that's built on relationships. Yeah. And so I think just sort of as a programmer, taking as much advantage of that as possible and um, really seeking out relationships with other programmers and mm. with uh, up and coming filmmakers and finding ways of um, getting, you know, getting to know 
student filmmakers mm. in different ways, mm-hmm. um, whether that's through um, involvement in different um, curricular programs mm. around the city or what whatever. Um, it, it it just being out in the world, being out in the field, mm-hmm. I think is the is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it also helps um, when filmmakers sort of know the types of films they want to make and where they might feel their films might shine mm. the brightest. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, especially when it comes to the New York Stories program, I think a lot of these filmmakers are also regular moviegoers in our theaters. And they, they know our programming, not just uh, within the New York Film Festival, but uh, the kind of work we do year round. Um, and I think that way is both viewers, as, cine- as cinephiles, filmmakers, they sort of share our sensibility as programmers. Um, and I think uh, that way we, we sort of respond to the work as well. And I think uh, speaking internationally, uh, I, we're always watching shorts from other festivals and becoming familiar with other uh, programming blocks as, that way as well. And we travel to film festivals, we meet filmmakers, we meet other programmers, and we sort of get an idea of how they work. And I think that ultimately helps our job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Maddie and Tyler, thank you for sitting in and giving us a little bit of context and and uh, information and uh, highlighting a number of uh, films in our shorts program. We really hope our our listeners take advantage of um, the standby line at these uh, often very popular programs of short films. As we wrap up this uh, eighth edition of the New York Film Festival Daily Podcast, um, we want to mention a few things that are coming up. Uh, we've got the Cotton Club on Saturday at 2.30 with an appearance by Francis Ford Coppola. A number of free talks um, on uh, Friday night tonight. Kelly Reichert will be doing a conversation with Kent Jones for free in our amphitheater. And there's a number of free talks all weekend and into the final full week of the New York Film Festival. Get more information at filmlink.org. And for now, let's listen to last night's conversation with Michael Apted. With 59 Primetime Emmys and 30 Academy Awards, HBO Documentary Films has been bringing audiences a full spectrum of stellar, non-fiction programming by acclaimed documentary filmmakers for decades. Dive into the year's most compelling documentaries and get ready for the powerful films to come. Stream the stories that matter, including The Case Against Adnan Saeed, The Inventor, Emmy Award-winning Leaving Neverland, just to name a few. And look out for the exciting new films coming soon. Only on HBO. Hello again. Thank you for coming out. So, uh, Michael, this is our this is our we call this our living room. So it's very casual, right. and uh, we'll talk for a few minutes, and you know maybe in about fifteen or twenty minutes we'll have an opportunity to take some questions from folks who were here in the audience. And as we're as we're uh, having this conversation and recording this podcast, we're on day seven of the New York Film Festival, and uh, sixty three up has not yet screened. So uh, we won't give away any spoilers, but we will talk about. Um, We'll talk about your own uh, relationship to this series and the evolution of this series. We'll talk about um, your own um, your own career and background and and uh, and how it all started. But um, I was just curious, maybe just 
speaking more generally about uh, about this series, and I've I've been able to watch this this terrific uh, and really moving uh, installment in this series, and I really hope that uh, you will get a chance to to see it. Uh, this weekend. Take advantage of that standby line. I know that maybe uh, tickets might seem sold out, but there's always a way in if you're really persistent. I really highly recommend it. Um, and I wonder, as you're, as you're preparing for each of these installments in the Up series, how much time are you spending with the folks you're following in between, in the interim seven years, are you spending a lot of time with them, or are you? Are, is that is that relationship that you're? Is it concentrated around kind of the filming every seven years? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it's been a, a learning process for me. Yeah. Is this working all right? Um, insofar that I don't want to get so much information. Yeah. Um, that I get, uh, I don't know, that it all sort of gets all slung together. Yeah. And, so I don't see them at all between, in the, unless it's some social thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't see them in the seven in the seven years between, because uh, it, it's. I felt it had to be focused, and it has to be focused on what they're doing in this seventh year. Mm -hmm. Of course, if if things are interesting, things have happened to them. We'll hear about that. But I don't want it to to sound like um, just. You know, just a rundown of what's been going on in the last six and a half years or something. Um, it's really to find what's their state of mind at this particular moment mm -hmm. and what the roots for, of, for that might be and to see the sort of the continuity of life with them. But I, I, have to, I realized I had to control myself a bit, otherwise, I'd have you know, a 65 minute film for each person. Um, yeah. So I've got, I've got yeah. a, you know, as it were, sort of, sort of edit it down before I even start editing yeah. it. But um, we do keep in touch with them. I mean, so if anything strange happens, yeah. God forbid, or yeah. how wonderful, yeah. um, we will decide to do whether we want to com commit to it and put it in the next film. But. Um, I, what I learned is that um, it was the most important thing was to find their attitude of mind mm -hmm. seven years on, as it were, mm -hmm. not just to do highlights of the last seven years, but to see how it altered them and what they've picked up. And so it's just a, every seven years there's a kind of watermark for where they are, otherwise you get completely confused. I mean, mm -hmm. unless you know, it's something very powerful and unrepeatable, you know, but generally it's calm down, Michael, um, you've got enough material here, you know, just pinpoint this seventh year and yeah. I think we've got some, <laughs> someone else here. I am not Michael Apted, do you know that? He's around the back, but, but anyway. Um, so you play the part well. Yeah, good. So th that's the growth of the characters and the way the characters change. Yeah. But that was a really big lesson for me because, um, you know, you, re you, you, as it were, check what's going on and know, and then, but then you must, you don't want to, as it were, swamp people with information yeah. like at 
you know, someone at 36 or someone at 38 or something like that. He's got to have the discipline of being that particular year, what's going on. And obviously, if, if someone's got married or had children or lost someone, then you can deal with it. But I needed to focus the thing because I knew we would have an absolute ton of material yeah. on all of them all the time. And so I've got to do a bit of kind of being a bit adult about it and deciding what bits we should be discussing. And then, and then it got to such a state that I wouldn't even ask them things that I didn't really want to hear about unless they were so keen about it than one does. So I had to edit it in a sense before I started and not find, not find out too much. So I had, there's no surprise enough for me. It's how do I keep each interview every seven years fresh, yeah. not them running you know, something that they've done uh, as, as part of their daily work at school or something like that. That was a bit lame, that line, wasn't it? But at school, but <laughs> every seven years has to be fresh because you know, we, it's, we have so much material, it's ludicrous. Yeah. And if you start getting into... Um, you know, getting into systems of this year and this year and this year, the audience will have a heart attack. Right. Well, I, you know, it, it, would, might, it would be interesting um, for us maybe to take a step back. Um, there may be people in the room or others listening to this podcast who um, perhaps are new Yes. to this series, and so we want to give them a chance to catch up. Yeah. Um, but maybe the best way to do that would be to go back to the early 60s. And in 1964, you made a movie about seven-year-olds, and you've been Correct. revisiting these same people, many of them, for, um, you've been re revisiting them every seven years. Yeah. Um, take us back to the origin of this project and help us understand uh, your mindset and the approach you took for that first one, and then we'll, we'll talk about how the series, okay. how you've evolved the series over the over time. Well, I I just left university in 1963, and I'd um, been invited with five other chaps, my and, and a girl my age, um, to go and work for Granada Television in Manchester, north north of North England, and. They were a small company, but they were extremely good, extremely good. And in some ways, they transformed British television. And the, you know, the, and the BBC, and the BBC got walloped and whatever. Although this was a small company, you know, they started bringing very, very kind of smart and you know knowledgeable people. Anyway, one of those people was. Um, an Australian called Tim Hewitt, who, who was at 29 the editor of the Northern Daily Express, which is you know, a big yellow paper, as it were, if you understand that. Um, and he had an idea that he wanted to make a film with seven-year-old children and to just see how different their potential upbringing is going to be. So very good, and so they, of the six that joined the company at that time, I was the only one who wanted to do documentaries. Everybody else wanted to 
be this you know, Chino Visconti and stuff like that, <laughs> uh, which of course I did as well, but I was a bit smarter sometimes. I could see that everybody wanted to be, uh, you know, be uh, a legend already in their time anyway. So I joined them. I, I, I got assigned the job of um, choosing the kids or finding the kids, which mm -hmm. was we only had three weeks to do it. Three weeks? And it was wow. very, very, very kind of simply presented to us, um, you know, that we don't know how many people you're going to be, whatever. But there was never any discussion about doing it in the long term at all. That part of the story comes later. So, so you can't hear me. What? No, you can't hear me. <laughs> anyway, so I'm it was a one-off to start I'll, with. I'll, I'll, I'll disconcert you and give you my answers to you to them. Is that a better idea? Because you've good. heard all this dribble before, haven't you? So you know. Not all this. of it. Anyway, so so it was a one-off at the beginning. It was a one, a, possibly a one-time only. Yes, and 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 also it was uh, just go out there and show, get us a group of seven-year-olds who are from different backgrounds and see how different their lives are. And of course, it was a shattering uh, idea, shatteringly good idea and also a very revealing idea. And in some ways, it contributed to the kind of change in English society during that period. I, you could see how class-ridden the thing was at seven in a ludicrous way. And so, you know, in a, in a sense, the earth moved. Um, it was a, a famous, it was a famous uh, documentary. Uh, Granada took um, the credit for it because they had it was their idea and whatever. And Tim Hewitt became kind of an important person and all that. The, film, the original film was directed by a, a Canadian. Um, what's his name? What? Paul Armand. Sorry, Paul. Paul Armand. Um, and uh, the thing was that he's a, he was a documentary maker and a drama director. He was doing he was a freelance freelance part uh, director doing some posh plays for for Granada. Anyway, so they asked him if he'd do it, and they asked me whether I would join him. Well, it became clear that I was overheated by the project and that he was under-educated under about it. He hadn't a clue of the English, um, you know, the English social structure, as it were. Um, just like I didn't have any idea of the structure of filmmaking like he did. Um, but anyway, the, the point was is that I, in my innocent, not innocent, in my pushy way, educated him in making a documentary. And when it came out, you know, it did in fact stir the country. It was, uh, the country was in shock when they saw how different the class system was and how few opposition, uh, few obvious things that people could get, weren't getting, etc. And it was truly, heartbreaking. So anyway, that was that. And 
you know, it created a stir, very wide stir, because it really hit people who weren't necessarily filmmakers or stuff like that. It did speak to the heart of the country. So anyway, so cut to five years later, um, Paul had gone back to uh, uh, back to Canada to um, carry his work as, as a great drama director and all that, and theatre director, and they came to me to say, would you like to do, how do you feel about doing a, an, you know, another version, an, another seven years on? So I, I thought for about 0.3 seconds and said, <laughs> Jesus, that's an excellent idea. So they said, oh, good. So off you go, which is what they did. And it was, you know, it, it didn't, in the original one, it, because it didn't have any identity as such, it didn't, it only had a, a big idea in it, but not, it wasn't kind of figured out too much. We had to really, in some way, start again. I, I, I think in Seven Up, we probably had as many as 25 kids in it. Mm. We clearly had to, um, you know, cut it down so it could be manageable. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we moved on to that, and that was successful too, so we could see what, um, what was possible. And I remember it very well after this, I'm probably going to exaggerate to impress you. But, That's just fine. Um, after, say, the third day of filming, seven plus seven, I rang Gr Granada up, you know, because God knows where I was, somewhere with these children, and said, look, um, I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in Manchester for the rest of my life. Some of you might understand that more than others. <laughs> and uh, I said, but I make a promise to you that if you do this, if you put this on a, you know, doing it regularly for every seven years, I'll guarantee I will be there. I said, I, I, I want to work in America and all this kind of stuff. I'm interested in making movies, blah, blah. So they said, fine, yeah, fine. And that's what happened. And I never let them down. I showed up every seven years, although long gone were my days working there. And um, the whole thing turned into this. Um, I just saw it as a, a great idea. And my interest in social, in, in social equality came from my mother who was the, the mother of three children. And so, you know, a husband who worked in, that, in, in insurance. So, but she was a socialist. I mean, she was, was embarrassingly socialist, my mother. And that was, her blood was in my veins. And so I picked up to this thing and off I went. And, and it worked out and it's, it's really always worked out because it was such a good idea. And we have found a way to do it, but then the, the rest of the 50 years that I've been doing, it's been to refine better ways to do it and more economical ways to do it and shoot 10,000 hours of film and then you know, have a nervous breakdown at the thought of it. <laughs> but, you know, uh, we learned lots of lessons all the way through. I mean, you know, I used to give them lists of questions and all that, but I stopped doing that pretty quickly. But, you know, we sort of refined it down. So, you know, it became a kind of a little scientific exercise as such. 
and it went on and on. And the, the, the film that you will see, is it tomorrow or today? or Saturday. Saturday. That isn't even today or tomorrow, so Saturday. <laughs> um, so anyway, so anyway, it all worked out well. And then the other thing that sort of happened is that very slowly, the people got the idea. Well, why doesn't why don't we other do it in other countries and stuff like that? Yeah. So we went in on and beat the you know beat the grass and everything, and and it was it's very interesting what happened because I, I can't remember how many people did it, how many countries did it, but only three countries, including us, including Great Britain, stayed with it. Yeah. And I spent years figuring out why this happened. Probably wrong, but I mean, there must be a reason that only three particular ones survived. And the reason is, I think, it, is that they, 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 each of the three had a powerful under, underground strength to it, i.e. something very unique into that society that people understood and that people could react to. So you'll never guess what the three were. Well, one was ours, was, was that. One, believe it or not, was Russia. Really? Well, for two, two reasons. Two, they've got a very fine film industry and, you know, the guy who does it for Russia is a terrific filmmaker. But of course, they're a, 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 a country that's been brutalized for hundreds and hundreds of years. So they had a lot to say about social class in Russia and all that, and theirs is extremely moving. And the last one, the third one, was South Africa, oh, wow. which was a huge sh shock to me because it was because how many people were dying because of AIDS. And I thought, in my innocence, that South Africa was one of the advancing countries in it, Mandela and all this kind of stuff, but apparently not. And so they were stuck with something doing which was diminishing in numbers every time. But when you came to America, didn't work. It's too, it's a very complicated film to make and to do because you have to have access to everything. Mm. I mean, because you might use new stuff from, the, from what's left of seven up when you're doing 42 up. So you've got to have access to it. And, you know, I mean, uh, the show business in America is so commercial and whatever that no com company was uh, still going after the first one. By, so the second one, and then you couldn't get the original footage. Mm -hmm. So that didn't last. Um, I made one horrible mistake, horrible mistake. Why didn't I do Northern Ireland? That would have been fantastic mm. because that went on and on and on and, it's, and was changing the whole time. Yeah. And I never saw that. I mean, I was damn clever to say other countries will be better to do it. But what happened in Northern Ireland, almost a whole generation got wiped out. Well, you couldn't have imagined, and you said you chose the, these children in, three, in a matter of three yeah. weeks. You couldn't have imagined that you'd be no, exactly. choosing a relationship with folks that you yeah. would continue to this day, right? Or, and but so that, far would, that would have been a country that, A, would be marketable in terms of language, but also would be, have been shocking. You know, whichever side of the, of 
you know, there's, there's the, your, whether your politics were to the right, to the left, nonetheless, the treatment of, of the people and the treatment of children was horrifying. So I admit that, and I, I couldn't believe it when I realized what I hadn't done. Yeah. And it was too late to start it. You know, I didn't want to, I mean, it was too far gone to, it would be all out of sync with everybody else, but anyway. So that was my nightmare when I realized what mistake I had made. But that makes you sympathetic towards me, doesn't it? So. It does, it does. Do you, do you remember how you chose or what drew you to some of these children you chose at age well, seven? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, no. I mean, I, I just think it was the, their ease with me. Right. I don't mean that they, they were necessarily poets or anything like that, but you could see people who would talk to me about stuff. You know, one and, and had a kind of vision of the world slightly beyond the narrowness of you know seven up. That was all. And it was mainly the fact that I chose them if I felt they could stand the stress of it. You know, of having to do it, and also, and also whether you know there was possibility that there would be a certain continuity in their life, whatever, um, which I could. What, you know, which would be juicy for me, as it were. Yeah. So they, they, they were you know, in with families who were ambitious or the complete reverse of ambitious or whatever. But basically it was who was good at talking in front of me and maybe up to you know, whether you've got the crew and all this to you know, 15, 20 people. Yeah. And, and most of them did. I mean, we, we didn't make any changes in it after, after 14 up. Um, so we did, I mean, I made horrible mistakes. I mean, the women thing. I'm surprised you women in the audience haven't been throwing okay, knives at me already. You know, we didn't see it. I mean, we weren't idiots, but we, we didn't see how quickly that, that whole thing changed. You know, how some, so quickly women became important in the society. Um, you know, I, I only had four women uh, of the 14. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of balance it all up by using, using the husband, uh, the wives, as people who were wives of the children to bring them in. So I tried to increase the female attendance, as it were, as people got older and became attached to the original ones. and. You know, they gave me some good stuff, it, but that it, was a mistake. It, it, it comes up, you, it's a mistake, if, it, if it's a mistake, it's a mistake that you address directly in the work. Yeah. Um, you, you're transparent about the engagement you have with a specific subject, and it comes up again in this film, um, who calls you out for that. Was that something that was difficult Definitely, to... Definitely, yeah, and, and called me out pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, 40 years later that we discovered that, oh, there were women as well, oh, good Lord. Um, you know, we began to feel it at about 21, you know, mm -hmm. and so then I had said to start, you know, bringing it in as a family, which isn't a horrible idea, but I mean, mm -hmm. it was embarrassing that we missed how quickly that happened. Mm -hmm. It didn't mm -hmm. happen quickly in every country, but it did happy, happen quickly and then, you know, up to a point yeah. in Great Britain. Well, it is interesting to watch over the course of the series how, um, 
we can talk more broadly about a number of, uh, of social issues or um, political changes certainly that happen and, and a number of your subjects uh, talk about that and certainly in the new film again without giving too much away there's certainly Brexit to grapple with as a recent development in, in, in your country and that's something that to, uh, to, to pin a conversation around of course as well. I wonder, I, I wanted to go back for one minute before we take some questions from the audience, and that is you talked about your parents and you talked about your upbringing. When and why did you decide to take that upbringing and direct it towards film or television? Um, well, I, I grew up in, in the golden age of films, really. I mean, not, not, I mean, I didn't discover American films until the 70s, Pretty much, but I mean, you know, European cinema was alive and well in, in England. Yeah. You know, the, the, the England's output for movies wasn't sensational, but when you look at what the French, the Germans, the Italians, blah blah, what we're doing, yeah. you know, they were part of the kind of, as it were, without being arrogant, the, the upper culture. Mm. We're looking at all these films, Indian films, and whatever. And so you could just see the range of it and the, the, the numbers of people who can make beautiful movies and whatever, or tough movies or whatever. So, you know, it was happening around us and we were way behind. And then I think what gave the whole thing a kick in the pants was, was really the, the Ken Loach, Tony Garnett school, you know, of you know his his uh, his his stuff came this stuff was terrific and original and came out of I italy i suppose you know nouvelle vague in france and whatever and it was so exciting yeah. and television was getting better and so there was a great kind of upscale now in, in the work that documentaries could do more yeah. people were seeing them and whatever yeah. so that it was, uh, you know, it was a kind of rich and un un uncovered, un un uncovered um, area, you know, and, uh, and particularly politically with, with Granada and Tim Hewitt, I mean, those guys really did push it forward, you know, yeah. using very in intimate things to talk about and not to sh shame or shock the general public. They didn't all go and jump in the, in the sea after seeing it, in which they were dead. Um, but nonetheless, you know, you could see the opening of, you could, you, of a kind of openness, really, from people who were prepared to talk and people were prepared to listen. And it wasn't just kind of lewd or anything like that. And people were prepared to... Uh, you know, announce and discuss what was going on and what wasn't good, and you know, so there was a, there was definitely a hunger for more information. Yeah. You know, people were prepared to talk about it uh, in public, and it happened very quickly. And it really was Granada got it going, and Hewitt got it going, and then the BBC quickly got onto it. And then by that, as that as it went on, then all the other companies. So it was really in television, and, and of course, there was also a lot of theater at that time, um, which was also, but I mean, that wasn't really a national cultural thing. I mean, mm. it, it became it, but it was originally a kind of, um, you know, a, 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 a kind of 
narrow thing, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So people's idea of entertainment with a capital E sort of changed. And, and, and social, um, you know, so, social pressures and things like that became a reason for discussing important things on television, which would never have to be discussed before. I wonder, as, as, I'm, as I'm watching as a teaser for what people will see on Saturday, um, in this latest edition, in this 63 Up, um, we see uh, these subjects certainly uh, reflecting on looking back at their lives from a particular vantage point. Um, and again, we see the intersection of the impact of social issues, whether it's Brexit or other things happening in the world. Um, and I wonder to what extent, as you look at when you sit down to, to put to tell the story and to put the story together, it, it's really moving. But it's also it's also something that I wonder about your own self-reflection and how you how you think about your own uh, career. Uh, your own relationship to each of these subjects and the, the, the passage of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I just put that down to luck and to being in the right place at the right time. If I'd gone to the BBC rather than Granada, I think I would have disappeared in, into another program. And, and, but because there was something in me about social science and stuff like that, and I, I read law as a university, course you know i was tuned in to what they were talking about yeah so that was a piece of piece of luck but once it all started then it all happened very very quickly yeah in newspapers and everything you know yeah. people started talking about the reality of life and not just people's dreams and whatever is that all right yeah absolutely you look un unpersuaded by that. no i i i i've i've only um I rewatched it. I rewatched it today to prepare for our conversation, and I think the second time watching it, I just, I was just, it was even more emotional for me. Mm -hmm. uh, just thinking about the passage of time and what's changing in the lives of the subjects that you've, yeah. that you've covered. There's some dramatic things that happen in m many of their lives, and it's, it's really moving and it's emotional as well. And I sort of like to think that I was always, because you know, I, I read a lot as a child and all that, that. I was only really interested, whether it's drama or books, in emotion. So, you know, I wasn't so much interested in, in the facts of people's life, but the mm. emotional way in which they told their story. And the more I could get out of these children at the beginning, mm. um, and they did very well, you know, and, and I, I had a sympathetic voice for them, if you know, I wasn't trying to poke into their lives, but. Mm -hmm. You know, that was really from my mother. I was never really a, a political political. You know, I never ran for election or something like that. But, you know, I was very, very interested in people talking and being, you know, prodded a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a, a lesson. And I was, you know, I wasn't that as interested to be scandalous and to see mm -hmm. how many of them were homosexual or anything like that. Yeah. I was more interested in the deeper emotions of how people respond to things. And I think that helped keep it going. So it was never, if you look at the old ones, that they're not bogged down by just certain things that happened in that time. You know, there was just an attitude towards them. 
that I wanted to hear their emotions, and I would push them for that. And I think, mm. you know, that was always my interesting. You know, I mean, I wasn't in, interested so much in the, you know, the journeys of the political parties and all that, because mm -hmm. that was pretty alarming. But um, <laughs> it was, you know, the, the substance of what people talked about and what people were interested in. Yeah. I was thinking today also about, this is a, a sort of tangential, more about the, the craft of it, but also just the material. Um, there's a, I noticed even more profoundly the, the different looks of the films from the different years. You're using different yeah. film stocks over time. So I'm thinking about how just the, the medium that you're capturing these conversations yeah. in well, has it, changed and evolved. That worked in my favor, although when People, we, we, when people started just shooting on videotape and things like that, yeah. and all the aesthetes in the business think, oh my God, <laughs> and, you, know, you just lose all the poetry of, of photography, which you, know, you certainly did. But from, for, for, from where I stood, the fact that I could talk t for an hour yeah. to people on video without stopping, you know, I, I remember in the first three or four of them, you know, the, 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 the tapes ran for about sort of um, 30 minutes or something. So people were hitting me on the shoulder after about, <laughs> you know, right. you couldn't get anything going. But once then you could roll for an hour yeah. and you could create kind of an intimacy with the, with the person. That was a huge gift, although, you know, Purists would say, uh, quite rightly, that you know there's a poetic element missing from video, early video than, than um, there should have been. But it, you know it was catching up, and all, you know the fact that you could roll for an hour and not stop—that was a huge thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to give. I'd love to switch gears, Michael, and ask or give our audience the opportunity to ask you. They're all a question. They're definitely not, <laughs> definitely not asleep. And um, if we have a mic, we have two microphones. So let's just wait so that those listening on the podcast will have a chance. We'll start on this side. I have a chance to hear your question. So we'll start there. Yes. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed your series over all of these years. One of the things that has struck me in seeing a few of the earlier ones is that I, I would assume you set out to record their lives, but you've shaped their lives in so many ways. The, the kind of anger at you that I've seen and the emotion at kind of talking about mm -hmm. this and probably the, the, the feelings it brings up for them, it forces them to look back at what were their dreams and what are their realities. And so would you just comment on how much you, this experience shaped them rather than just recorded who they no, were? No, I mean, it was... I, I, I think part of my the instinct of my job was not to, to to move them across. I mean, I might say to them something general about politics, and they weren't interested in it at all. You know, which I might then follow that up. But I think for each of them, you know, I felt all of them as individuals, and I would go for that individuality. You know, rather than have each of them answer the same pictures as same questions. I mean, as, as it developed and they developed, you know, my attitude towards them and what was interesting about them changed. So it was never, I never wanted it to be, you know, like an exam. Everybody has to do an answer about politics or whatever. 
So I, I was always wise to the fact that people are different and have different uh, values and whatever. And to keep alive, keep that alive, not try and uh, s sort of cover that up. And that's, you know, in a way, what became easier for me technically when I could shoot on video and shoot tons of stuff. I could cover lots of ground and not have to say, well, I'm only going to be able to shoot at, least, at the most an hour and a half, so I better cut it down before I even shoot it too. So I think that was a big help for, for me. It made me generous about what I could talk about and use subjects. Even if I had a, an idea that someone was hiding something for me, I, could, I had the space to, to, um, you know, to explore it with them. But I never wanted it to be look like everybody looked the same. I was always looking for what their dreams were, what their ambitions were, and, and whatever. And so, you know, when I got I got better at the job, and also the technology got better. If it wasn't aesthetically better, but it was better able to give a stronger coverage and to 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 pick out the unique things in each of the person rather than you know, just have, say, 25 questions, and that's that. You, you, you spoke of a, a serendipity and timing of your birth and, and the rise of a golden age of filmmaking. Uh, you've dealt in both the, the, the uh, narrative type of filmmaking as well as documentary filmmaking, but in a film, uh, documentary filmmaking world, uh, have you had a chance to cross-pollinate with other documentary filmmakers? Are you aware of a, of a culture of documentary filmmakers uh, that sort of exchange juices and, and energies? And, and who would those people be? If, so? I, th I think so. I mean, not to the extent that I know about foreign directors who direct um, dramatic work, because... Um, Documentarian, doc documentaries can be sometimes very intimate and very personal and very significant in, in a short way. And I, I, I wouldn't feel happy that I'd get the best out of it if, if I didn't understand the language. And I mean, I, I've done some films, you know, with, um, you know, with, with um, foreign I, mean, I did a couple about art and things like that. And we went to this, uh, I did this, I, I chose six artists all over the world and made a film a bit like this, but only did it once. And I came across a brilliant architect in Japan, whose name I now forgot, very famous. Anyway, we had this very, seemed to be contentious, um, conversation I, and I thought he was angry with me and all this kind of stuff so when we got back um, the um, interpreter who was English whose one great claim was that she uh, I don't know which prime minister she worked for but someone who thought I think she should have done better than that but anyway so but anyway, he, he wasn't being remotely, he was being aggressive and helpful. And because of his attitude, which was just his nature, and it was, it was a horrible shock. I forgot what his name was, but I mean, he was, I'll 
try and think of it, but, you know, so, so, so I mean, I just felt that dealing in a foreign language, because I don't have any gift for language at all, I never did, um, you know, I should kind of keep things under control so that what I only do films about something I know about or what I know about or know what the issues are. So I, I, I don't, le unless somehow it can be translated on, I thought it was a kind of foolish thing for me to be doing because there's so much nuance in, in doing um, documentaries that unless you get that nuance, you probably miss the story and boy did I miss him. <laughs> and he was very, very cross about it, and who could blame him? But anyway. <laughs> sort of as a follow up to your question, I wonder if, Michael, if you've thought about how, over the span of your making just this particular series, um, the, the form, the documentary form has evolved, not to even start talking about uh, the, the, the nature of reality television, which really didn't exist. In, in its current form um, at the time that you started doing this. But have you thought about the way that perhaps the form has evolved, how that's influenced you, or how you've influenced that form? Well, I mean, I, I think I'm making a, a narrow point, but it, it is a crucial one, that if you can't understand uh, the nuance of someone's answering your questions, then you're in deep trouble. Um, and that's what, that was me, and I didn't re even realize I was in deep trouble. And then when I heard, the, the translated version of it, it was embarrassing. You know, I, I missed points and misunderstood answers and thought, and it, I mean, it was so Ando, today of Ando, do you remember, do you know him? Are you Japanese? Yeah, well, it was him. And he was young, I mean, he was a young bloke, and very, very gifted and all this, and I was so embarrassed when you know, I, I, I saw his stuff and put his stuff together and I thought how trite it was and it was entirely my fault because I didn't really know enough about him to, you know, to get some sort of controversial stuff because he was a very controversial architect. I mean, his body of work was remarkable. So anyway, so that answers that, but... Are we, are we to understand that, that uh, your inspiration comes from a certain amount of, of challenge or contest from the other side, as it were. Do you do thrive in, in a challenge, a challenging type of situation? Well, not, not if I'm not going to understand it. I, I don't want to be so ambitious that, you know, I, I take them from all continents of the world and then just look an idiot. So I think to get the best out of documentaries, you know, unless they're very visual documentaries, you know, and then they're, 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 the, the, the art is in. I mean, if I was to do film about football, for example, you know, I would know what to talk about, even if I didn't speak a word of the language that the footballer had. But when you're talking about kind of intellectual or emotional things and you're going at it and you, you really feel you're not understanding what they're talking about, it, it, it's embarrassing. So I did, I did cut myself down after that because I thought that was an embarrassing effort. Let's take a question right there. Hi. Hi, thank you. I love the film so much. Um, oh. I'm just wondering, having observed these people over the years, is there one story um, that you're most moved by or people's changes 
that you've seen that um, you find most, you know, yeah. inspiring or moving? Well, it, that, that's a bit of a, a trick question. Not <laughs> that you're trying to catch me up, but it's, it's true of all of them. I mean, the change is, it's like watching your children grow up and the little things they pick up from me or from their mothers and all that sort of stuff. It's the way people are changing. And, you know, because there's only sort of 13 of them, 14 of them, you know, it, it is remarkable how people change and also remarkable how people don't change. You know, how what uh, you get out at 14, you know, you're going to still going to get out at, you know, 49 or something like that. Um, but, I mean, it is, it is interesting to, to, to push them and, and, and to see how genuine some of the stuff is by going back into the old films and showing them a bit of them and say, well, this was you, you know, 21 years ago. What do you think of it now? Um, so, you know, you, it's difficult because you, 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 you do want to see what's so interesting for an audience to see how people change, how people get to where they are in the current film and how they got there. So you, you've, got, you, you, you've, you, you've got to be aware of the passing of time. You can't just say, oh my goodness, it's a big difference since, you know, 35 up and, and uh, you know, and 49 up and stuff like that. You need to be able to go back over things, especially things, I mean, I always look at the films before I go back onto the next generation of them just to see what I thought when I did it, um, you know, what, was, what wasn't quite right, what didn't sound good and all that. And so I may cover that ground again because then it's very interesting for an audience to see how these people can drop some stuff, you know, and move on with other stuff, you know. So it's, you have to kind of keep an attachment to the to the development of it as, as well as to keep it fresh so everybody isn't suddenly become a Nazi or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's a pretty tasteless remark, but give me that one. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's to get the balance between it being fresh and also being a surprise and also being predictable. You have to try and keep all those things in your one's head. Michael, does, does looking at, at, when you go back and watch these films, yeah. as you said, you're preparing for the next one, um, and dealing with that passage of time, um, you're looking at, as you said, how your subjects are evolving, how they're changing. In what ways are you thinking, or in what ways have these films influenced the way you think about your own passage of time? Oh, how, have yeah. you, how have they changed you from film to film or from decade to decade? Well, very much so, and also my children, too. You know, I, I was incredibly interested talking to these people, how they brought their children up, and all that. I was thinking, oh my God, why didn't I do that? And all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it, it's, it's as long as you've got an open mind and prepared to embarrass yourself, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's incredibly interesting. And that, that's what's so popular, I think, and unique about the series of films, because everybody can recognize the changing and all that sort of stuff. So now with all this technology, you can have all of them, lucky old you, all, uh, all you know, on, 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 the, on the kitchen table, off you yeah. go. Yeah. So, you know, to give people that breadth of 
their own passage of time. Right. Even if they think it was a load of rubbish, it, they can't kill it all. Right. They certainly did say that when they were 14, and you might regret it, but you did say it. So it was originally, the series was originally conceived to highlight differences in class. Yeah. So would you say now at 63 up that it has achieved its goal? Mm. And also, besides class, what's the second most you know, impressive thing that, the, this, that you find um, it highlights? Mm. I didn't understand that last bit. Were they, sorry. Well, just besides class, yes. what, what else do you, do you really notice? What are the themes that you pick up either in 63 up or in 56 well, up? Yeah. Over the years, besides that, the main but, goal of class. Well, I just think it's a, a genuine openness that we have. It's not all valuable or even all agreeable, but the fact that people know much more now than they ever did. When you <laughs> think of which is a double-edged sword. Sometimes it's terrific, you know, know these things about people. But I just think the breadth of the knowledge and the breadth of what people are prepared to talk about can only be helpful, I think. I mean, pe people who kind of lock themselves away and, and all that. And then, you know, because on the whole, we didn't make too many horrible mistakes. And I don't mean in guessing things and, and whatever, but, you know, the, the, the way that the thing moved along in each, cl in each person wasn't too far off, if you know what I mean. I mean we, had, we had to make adjustments and all that sort of thing. I mean, a lot of people changed dramatically, but because I did them every seven years, it was visible. You know, you didn't say, oh my God, what happened to him? And I mean, if there was something strange, then you could nail it if, between the last one and this one, then you've got something concrete. But, and the fact that I can show them at the, all those different ages within the program also helps that I can, you know, it's not people telling people to reminisce, it's talking people to say what they really did say when they were 21 years old about girls or something like that, you know. So it's, I mean, it's just a great thing to have. And although I speak incredibly warmly of Granada, it's horrifying how much stuff they threw away. Mm. Oh my God. I mean, they didn't show anything that was broadcast, but they threw everything else out, right up to 28, for God's sake. Mm. They had all these thousands of feet of thing on tape and everything. And then when I went back, when I went back to, mm. when I was, say, doing 56 up, and I, went, and I went back to see what they had said about something else, there was, all that was available was that transmitted program, which was, I mean, since it was such a brilliant idea that they had, I mean, I didn't have the idea. <laughs> I was shocked, you know, how much stuff they threw out. And especially ridiculous when you were dealing on tape, you know, when it was nothing. So that was disappointing. And I remember things that people said, and then when we looked for it, it wasn't there. And we think, oh my God, wow. they've wiped it. You know, nothing that was ever broadcast was wiped, but I know that I had a big set too with one of these people, wow. you know, and where is it? Where's it gone? It was just what was left of it. It was in the transmitted program, but the, the arguments or the rows or the mm -hmm. em emotional moments were removed. Wow. So I, I nearly cried. 
I was very upset. Wow. Oh, you're looking too serious. I'm, I'm upset. Well, I'm upset to hear it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, you're saving everything now. Well, yes, but a bit late now because you, you know it's, <laughs> it's what you wanted when they were 35 and yeah. stuff like that. You know, you want it all because yeah. no one else has ever got this. I don't think. Yeah. And no one else has ever gone this deep into yeah. the time of someone's life. There was a question in the front, and I think it was, was it here? Yes, hi. I think you might be our last question. Following up on the earlier questions about the evolution of the people, one of the early themes was, you know, show me the child at seven and I'll show you the man. Yes. And that was true of a remarkably high number of them at 21 and 28. Yeah. What would you say about them today? Is it still true of a lot, or have they most, mostly changed and are different people than they I, were? I, th I think... I would say, I, w I wouldn't really know, but I, I, I do think people have changed a lot. Society is much more mobile. Information is much more available than what, and I, I think people have access to the world and other things. And, and so I, th I think, you know, when you look at, if you look at, you know, the Radio Times or the TV Times 10 years ago, it's pretty shocking how narrow some of it is when you look about and now the impact of international television and all that kind of stuff so I think people will get more educated by watching television I mean and whatever so I think yeah I mean I think it's been an enormous help to people grasp their parts uh, their, their past not their parts Michael their part their you know what they lived through and all that. I mean, it's so graphically delivered now, so well delivered. And, you know, you just have more material, which, you know, really defines the changes of society and the changes of people. Is that, is that all right? Yeah, okay. We're wrapping, we're wrapping up, but I, I, I have one burning question that I can't, Quite shake, and, I, and I'll just ask it oh, this God. way: Have you have you thought have you thought about how this series should conclude? By my death. <laughs> well, that may not be. I mean, other people could. Take that's it that's where I'm wondering. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I mean, it's getting a little hair raising now. Is it? Yeah. For, I mean, you know, there is some illnesses around. Yeah. All that. For those of you who've seen. <clears throat> You know, 63 up. There's, yes, yes. There's a definite hint of mortality there. Yes. You know, and we, we had to deal with one mortality, which was very upsetting and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you, you can only, you don't, you don't want to put people's noses through it. I mean, I mean, suppose five of them had died. I wasn't one of them, you know, for, for six years' time. It would be tricky to know. But I, I suppose you have to do it. You have to, yeah. if you, um, you know, if you act by the sword, then you die by the sword. You know, if I'm going to be very aggressive about it and think that if people pass away, then I can't ignore it, can I? Yeah. And that's, that gets very, very painful because I have known them a hell of a long time. Yeah. And although I don't see them much, we're very close, you know. Yeah. And oh. one dreads. You know the the old phone calls saying, "Well, I might not be around for blah 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 and all that," but I haven't had that yet. I mean, people, a couple, well, one person died, 
after after 50, 56 up, but um, we haven't had a torrent yet of demise. But we, I mean, that's it's a, it's, it's a dreadful fault for me because yeah. it's it's not exactly family, but Christ, I mean, I I see more of them in their past than I see of my family. Yeah. You know, I've forgotten what my children were like when they were. 14 or 21, but there's these other people. My God, look what they were like. And anyway, I won't go on about it, but it's a, it's a bit of a problem, emotional problem for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to skirt it. And I think if people would be very annoyed if one did say, oh, well, they're dead. And oh, oh they're dead. They're yeah. still alive. Yeah. Well, this one, by chance, is, uh, you know, whatever, anyway. Well, look, it's, it's um, on Saturday. I really hope that uh, anyone who doesn't have a ticket, makes the effort to uh, to get there or um, or see it at another opportunity at another festival or anywhere else um, it's a really special opportunity for us to sit with you for this conversation i appreciate it and thank you for coming back and sharing this movie with the new york film festival thank you michael You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you. For 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases. The publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org.